I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Thank you, Jonathan. Well, good morning, church family. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Well, I so appreciate this opportunity to kick off 2019 uh, with this brand new sermon series on transforming grace. You know, as we start the new year, many of us are already thinking about making positive change in our lives. Many of us have come here this morning already having made New Year's resolutions. And in fact, 45% of Americans make New Year's resolutions year by year. That's roughly half of Americans. And so by way of testing your knowledge of American culture, I wanted to give you just a little quiz, uh, see if you guys are awake this morning. I wanted to ask this question. What do you think the number one, the number one resolution that is made by Americans? And I'm going to give you four possibilities. I already hear answers coming. Four possibilities. All right. I want to eat better. I want to spend less time watching TV or playing video games or what we call screen time. I want to spend more time with family or friends, or I want to exercise more. Those are your four choices, okay? So who thinks that eat better is the number one resolution made by Americans? A couple people, not many. What about less screen time, less TV, video games, social media? What? I, I saw one person. I saw one person. I was thinking some young people, young people, right? Uh, what about spend more time with family and friends? Uh, okay, wow, you guys, okay. What about exercise more? Oh my goodness, you guys really know the culture, don't you? <laughs> it's probably because uh, half of you guys made that resolution already, right? Yeah, yeah. Exercise more. 37% of Americans make that resolution year by year, more than a third of us. And it's easy for us as we approach the new year to make these types of resolutions and goals, isn't it? But yet, uh, to carry through with these goals is, is another thing. I mean, we approach January with a lot of gusto, a lot of energy, and all these plans and these ideas of how we're going to achieve our goals. And then as the year goes on, what happens? Kind of fizzles out, right? So I ran across a couple of illustrations, some pictures I wanted to show you. In keeping with uh, our desire to be healthy and to exercise more, this is what the gym looks like in January. This is what it looks like in January, okay? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so packed, you can't even see the equipment, right? <laughs> but what happens when January, when February rolls around? This is what it looks like, right? Totally empty, okay? And the question is why? Why? Why is that? And I'm going to give you one possibility, one reason why we can't seem to follow through, and that's because we don't have the right motivation, right? And I heard something on the TV uh, just the other day uh, as the new year rolled around. They had an expert on the TV, and they were, they were actually answering the same question. Uh, I was a psychologist and a counselor, and they said uh, most people when they start the new year with these resolutions, the motivation they have is rooted in something superficial, and it, and it can't last, right? So our motivation is important. Did you know that a fifth of us, 
after one week, are going to give up on our resolutions. A fifth of us, and that's uh, January 7th is tomorrow, so a fifth of you are going to stop exercising. And by three months, by three months, 50% of us will have stopped working on our resolutions. And so we have to have, we have to have the right motivation. It's like having a solid foundation. It's like if you don't have the right motivation, you're building a house on sinking sand. And what happens? It's going to crumble. It's going to fall apart. And it's not going to last. So how does this relate to our passage today in Romans? Well, the Christian life is about change. It's about growth. And it's probably better in light of this passage to say it's about transformation. Because God is taking that old person and he's making us into a new person. He's making us like his son. But in order to change and grow, our hearts have to be properly motivated. And so in our passage today, the Apostle Paul, he's going to lay a solid foundation. He's going to give us solid motivation for change. And then, based on that solid motivation, he's going to throw down the gauntlet, and he's going to have a couple big challenges for us. And the first one is he's going to say, offer your bodies, present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. And then, the second thing he's going to ask, he's going to say, renew your mind and be transformed. Offer your bodies, renew your mind. Those are the big asks, but he's going to do that based on this solid foundation. Okay? So let's look at the first verse in Romans, and we're going to see here the godly motivation for change. And it's found in those words, therefore, by the mercies of God. Therefore, by the mercies of God. And when you hear therefore, you're going to look at what happened before. And so we're going to look at the first 11 chapters of Romans. And if you've read the first 11 chapters of Romans, it's like a PhD thesis from Paul, right? It's very heavy. Abstract theology. He's talking about the depravity of man. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about faith. He's talking about sin. Justification by faith. He's talking about the gospel. Right? And then starting in 12, with the therefore, he's going to embark on some practical things. Right? So he's going to say, abstract theology, practical things. I want you to do this, this, this. He's going to talk about the Christian life. He's going to talk about judging, stumbling blocks, how to grow. Okay? But what we have here is a pattern we see over and over in the Bible. That God gives us the why before he gives us the what. And you parents probably know a little bit about this, don't you? Right? When your little kids come up to you and they're asking for that second bowl of ice cream or that third bowl of ice cream, or they're asking you to play more video games, or they want that puppy dog and you say no, and they say why? And sometimes, I've never done this myself, but sometimes as parents we get exasperated or we don't know the answer, and what do we say? We say, because, or because I said so or because I'm bigger than you, right? But what happens? What happens to these kids? Well, because we are bigger than them, what happens is they do what we ask them to do, right? But what happens to the heart? Have we won their obedience? Have we won their heart? What we get is we get that external conformity, but we haven't gotten obedience from the heart. 
But thank God that God gives us the why. God gives us the why. In fact, God cares deeply about the why, and it's the reason, it's the reason why you can be basically a good person. You can be seen serving in the church. You can be seen giving money away, serving the poor. You can be, you can be doing all these good things, and yet you can be so far from God because your heart motivation is not right. And yes, there's going to be good people in hell because their heart motivation was not right. And I want to give you a few examples of this. Uh, in Matthew 23, this is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. And he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also, also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, who were the scribes and Pharisees of the day? These were the guys that were the religious elite. These were the guys that did the right thing, right? They paid special attention to observing God's law. They did the right thing on the outside, and Jesus sternly condemns them and says, but no, on the inside, you guys are corrupt. You're corrupt. Your heart motivation is wrong. And elsewhere in Scripture, Jesus said, the reason you're doing these things is to be seen by men. And so their heart motivation was wrong. And let me give you a couple other examples. Early on in Genesis chapter 4, we see Cain and Abel, the story of Cain and Abel, uh, the brothers. And what are they doing? They're bringing an offering to God, both of them. Both of them are doing something wonderful, something right, bringing an offering to God. And what happens? If you know the story, you know that God does not regard Cain's offering. He doesn't regard it. And if you study that story, you're going to end up with the same conclusion. It's because his heart was evil. The brothers did the same thing on the outside. They were bringing an offering to God, and yet God does not regard Cain's offering. And then in Acts chapter 5, zipping ahead to the New Testament, we see another example very similar to this. It's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira. And what did they do? They had some property, and they sold it, and they held back a portion, and they brought an offering, and they laid it at the apostles' feet. And if you've read that story, you know what happens to them, right? They fall over dead. Why is that? Their hearts were not right. Their hearts were evil. The motivation for doing what they did, though it was good, I mean, they're bringing money to the church. They stood condemned. And so our motivation... Our motivation is so critical. Why we do what we do, it's the difference between heaven and hell, right? Heaven and hell, life and death. We need to look at the heart. And so looking at this passage, what is the motivation that the Apostle Paul gives us? Therefore, by the mercies of God. Therefore, by the mercies of God. The mercies of God is kind of a shorthand. I can't, Paul is saying, hey, I'm not going to recap the first 11 chapters for you here. I'm just going to summarize and say, the mercies of God. The mercies of God. God 
would have been just if when humanity fell in the garden, if he didn't do anything, right? He was not obligated to do anything. But yet, what do we see? Right away in Genesis chapter 3, there's the promise. There's hope that God is going to fix the situation between man and himself by sending a Savior. That's the mercy of God. That's the grace of God. And listen to how the Apostle Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 2. Starting in verse 1, he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins, but God. You were dead, but God. And God would have been just, God would have been right if it said, And you were dead, and God let you perish. Right? He would have been just. But that's not what it says. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. You see, it's grace. It's a free gift. It displays his mercy, his grace, and his great love for us. This is what Paul is saying, based on the mercy, the grace, and the love of God. I'm going to challenge you to do a few things here. And so there's two ways we can go about change. Two ways, right? We can change so that we're accepted, so that we're approved or loved, or we can change, or we can know that we're loved, we can know that we're accepted, and therefore we want to change, right? Change so that we're accepted, or we're accepted, therefore we're going to change. And I love the way Tim Keller puts things, and he says this, God's salvation does not come in response to a changed life. A changed life comes in response to salvation offered as a free gift. You guys see the difference there? A subtle difference, but it makes all the difference in the world. The difference between heaven and hell. So that's the solid foundation. That's the motivation. God's love for us. His mercy for us. And so what does Paul challenge us with in verse 1? His first challenge is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And when you hear that word sacrifice, if you study the Bible, you're going to think about all those sacrifices in the Old Testament, right? All those animals. And then you're going to think about, in the New Testament, the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus, right? He offered his body as a living sacrifice, actually as a dead sacrifice, Therefore, what Paul is saying, based on the fact that Jesus offered his body, I want you also to offer yourself, your body, as a living sacrifice. Now, what do all sacrifices have in common? They are killed. They are dead. Right? All those animals were killed. Jesus was killed. But the Apostle Paul is saying something different here for us. He is saying, 
He doesn't want a dead sacrifice. He wants a living sacrifice. He wants your whole life, your whole life, dedicated to him, consecrated to him, offered to him, his purposes, his kingdom, his glory. You guys remember that guy Ransom Kent, right? I mean, it's only been a week or so. <laughs> um, he's probably there in South Carolina at his, his church, right? Uh, if you're new with us, Ransom was a pastor here, um, and uh, he took a call in South Carolina. But last month, he was meeting with the officers of the church for the last time, and uh, he was describing, you know, this move to South Carolina and what it would be like for him and Julie. And I remember these words that he said. I mean, they still ring in my ears. He says, as we're thinking about moving, as we're thinking about all these changes, I mean, it's almost like starting a new year, right? A whole new life. We are going to weaponize our lives for the sake of the gospel. That's powerful, right? What is he saying? He's saying all the decisions we're going to make, where we live, where our children go to school, everything that we're going to decide is going to be centered around the kingdom of God and his purposes. That's, that's huge. And this is a big ask that Paul is throwing down for us to dedicate our lives to him. And so the question comes to us, what are we dedicated to? We dedicated to ourselves or to God? Are we dedicated to advancing our career or God's kingdom? Right? What are we dedicated to? Our reputation or God's reputation? Our glory or God's glory? Our needs and our comforts or the comforts and the needs of the people of God in God's kingdom? What are we committed to? And you know, this is not just for people like Ransom, guys who are in the ministry. This is for all of us. It doesn't matter if you're a woodworker, a biologist, computer science. It doesn't matter if you're a landscaper, a lawyer, grandparent, parent, whatever station in life, God is calling you in a unique way to dedicate your life to him, to bring glory to him. That's what he's asking us to do. Well, let's move on to the second challenge. And we see this in verse 2. And Paul does this in the way of both a negative and a positive. On the negative side, he says, do not be conformed. And then on the positive side, he's going to say, be transformed. Do not be conformed. And did you know that whether you realize it or not, you are being conformed to something. You're being conformed to something. And there's a few of you guys out there who are I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, you know, Brian, I, I'm, I do a good job if I hear and see all this stuff, and I don't conform to any of that. And what you're really doing is you're conforming to being a nonconformist, right? We're all being shaped by something. And the Apostle Paul is saying, don't be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, the values, the ethics, the ideas of this world. Don't be conformed to it. Now, guys, you guys can probably uh, relate to this uh, illustration here. Uh, if you're like me, you've grown up watching TV all your life, and you've been bombarded since youth uh, about buying a car, right? Car commercials. And what are these car commercials telling you? If I just get that brand new shiny car, what's going to happen to my life? 
I mean, magically, I'm going to have a perfect wife, I'm going to have perfect kids, a perfect dog, and this car is going to be parked outside of a beautiful house. And somehow, magically, I'm going to even look better, right? I'm going to be younger. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to have everything that I always wanted. And the Apostle Paul says, don't be conformed to it. Don't be conformed to it. And you ladies out there, you guys are being bombarded with these messages that your beauty is what is on the outside. And that your worth is bound up in the way you look. And the Apostle Paul says, don't be conformed to that idea. Don't be conformed to it. It's ideas like this, that sex outside of marriage is perfectly fine. It's acceptable. And the Apostle Paul says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to it. It could be this subtle idea that you can say to yourself, you know, I can do anything I want to do just as long as I'm not hurting anyone else. There are many people who live by that standard, right? But that's not God's standard. And the Apostle Paul says, do not be conformed to it, but yet be transformed. Be transformed. And that word in the Greek is metamorphuste, from which we get the word metamorphosis. Right? It's a much more radical idea than conformity. You know, conformity is like us after the holiday eating, right? What happens? We're trying to fit into our jeans or our outfit, and we're stuffing ourselves in, and we don't quite fit, and so we're jamming our body in, and our body is being shaped, right? It's being shaped. Apostle Paul says, don't be shaped by this world, but be transformed. And this transformation is a radical idea. It's like the idea of going from a caterpillar to a butterfly. Jesus is making us new. But how do we do this? Well, he says right there in the text, by the renewing of your mind. And so the key to transformation is the renewal of our mind. And I don't think it's by accident. I think it's very significant to know that that word renewal, it's only used one other place in the New Testament, in Titus. Paul speaking again, and he's talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in renewing us. And so what it means is we're utterly dependent on the ministry of the Holy Spirit to renew our hearts, to renew our minds. And how does he do that? How does the Spirit do that? The Spirit has many tools at his disposal, but let me give you one possibility. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, and so we should be renewing our minds in God's Word. You know, we live in an age of fake news. Sadly, this is true, right? Fake news. I mean, you can turn on the news channel, one news channel, and you can hear a story, and you can get a certain idea of what it's about, and then you can turn on another channel, and what happens? The same story, but it's cast in a totally different light. Right? And so you ask yourself, what is true? What is really true? And if you're like me, you go out and on your websites and you start to research information, and then those questions come into your head. It's like, well, are these websites even reliable? Do they have their own agenda? Do they have their own spin? But I love what Pastor Rod Whited said. He's one of our interim pastors uh, many years ago. He said this over and over again, and so it stuck in my mind. There is a place in this universe 
there is a place in this universe where you can find absolute truth. It's God's word. This is truth without spin. This is truth that's not changing because it's based on the character of God. It's God himself indeed. And so we need to be feeding ourselves in the word of God. We need to be acting like it's our daily bread, that it's vital to our existing existence. Let me throw another statistic at you. This is my engineering background coming out. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Um, I uh, saw this in the uh, Desiring God blog uh, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, they made mention of this. If Christians would just replace their TV watching with Bible reading, what would happen? We would finish the Bible in four weeks. <laughs> I mean, that I was really uh, amazing and uh, convicting at the same time. Uh, that means we would read the Bible uh, 12 times in a year or more, right? And, and if you're like me, you struggle. I mean, I've never read the Bible two times in a year, much less 12. Uh, and some of us uh, struggle to get through the Bible once in a year. And, and so the point is not really not uh, about how much we're reading the Bible, right? But to look at what the priorities of our heart are. And is it a priority of our heart to be renewing our mind in God's word? Well, if the love of God and his mercy and his grace were not enough to convince you to take on these sorts of challenges, the Apostle Paul gives you a very, very practical reason. He says, so that you will know the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, who here has not come in uh, to the sanctuary with questions about what's God's will for me? I mean, relationships, job and vocation, students, you're, you're wondering about what you should study. We all want to know what God's will is, right? Because the Bible is true, and the Bible says it's what's good, acceptable, and perfect. And I know in my life, when I've not been on that lane, I've been on that other lane where things weren't acceptable. It's not good, right? I want to be where it's good, acceptable, and perfect. And I want you to see this strong connection between renewing your mind by the power of the Holy Spirit and God's Word and understanding what God's will is for your life. Okay? Those two go together. You're not going to get God's will from listening to your emotions or listening to the world or that quiver in your liver. It comes from the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. That's where it is. So I wanted to circle back now. The Apostle Paul has just thrown down the gauntlet. He's, he's made a big ask. He says, God wants your whole life. God wants you to be renewing yourself by the Spirit and His Word. I want to ask, how are you feeling about it? What's your heart saying? Because sometimes our feelings are an indication of our heart motivation. And maybe you're saying to yourself, man, I just got to try harder, right? Or maybe you're saying to yourself, man, I feel a little bit obligated, man. I didn't realize that was in God's Word. I feel obligated. I have to do that. I have to try harder. Or maybe some of you out there are thinking, this is just another thing to add to this long to-do list of things that I have to do that God says I have to do, and there's not a sense of joy. Let me warn you that those types of motivations will not last. Those types of motivations will not last. And caution you, Maybe you have not yet been captivated 
by the love of God. John Piper says it this way, when you are transformed in Christ, you love to do what you ought to do. You love to do what you ought to do. Right? When God is at work in your heart, he gives you a new heart, and he changes your heart's desires. He changes your motivation, and you begin to love to do what you ought to do. And that's totally different than feeling obligated, than feeling like I need to try harder. So, as we start this new year, I want to challenge you with the Word of God. And God is bringing this challenge to you to offer your whole life to Him, to renew yourself by the Holy Spirit through His Word. And you can do that knowing that Jesus, His love for you, is all of the motivation that you're going to ever need. And His life is the perfect example to follow. And you can take on these challenges knowing that you're going to fail often. This is the paradox. You're going to fail often. But, but rest assured, you're going to ultimately succeed because Jesus has already accomplished it for you. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us with our unbelief. Help us with our unbelief. Help us to believe that what we have in our hands is the very word of God, your voice to us. And Lord, let it not be a book that just sits on the shelf, but let it be something powerful, something powerful that acts on us, that discerns our heart's motivations. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give this power through your Holy Spirit to live lives that are worthy of you, that bring glory to your name. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.